You, yeah, you can. I mean, if it's if it's some early season race where there's nothing on the line, you know, you hit the brakes quicker or sooner. In San Remo, you don't. I mean, you gotta. It's it's uh, it's it's uh, point and shoot. There's no there's no braking and and yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you could either like what slows guys down, right? So either on a very fast technical descent, or we've talked about this last summer when these really hairy, gnarly sprints on the tour were you know we're at home watching on tv going oh no i can't i can't watch it it's something's about to you know like who hits the brakes first because that's always the question right i mean obviously it matters who's the fastest but what really matters as well is who just doesn't break and so what then causes you to break in a sprint to break on a downhill is it is it you had a couple big crashes and you're like okay i'm, I'm kind of sick of this uh do you have two kids and you back of your mind you're like you know what i really want to fly home tonight and, and like pick my three-year-old daughter up and not be in a sling and not be in the hospital. You know, those are all things that, that they matter. Right? Yeah. And so probably a mix of all those. Welcome back to the Stages Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong, my co-host, J.B. Hager. J.B., good morning. Hey, man. Welcome back from spring break. Tell you what, I need a vacation from my vacation. It was Baja, California with nine kids, five 18-year-old boys. I mean, I I think they they thought they were in the Rolling Stones. (laughs) It was, it was, we had, but I will say we had such a good time the last day. Yesterday, when we were flying back, it was just like everybody was just in this funk, like, ugh. They didn't want to go home. Back to the grind. Back to the grind. Oh, yeah. Well, they had to go back to school. Here's This is our grind. I'm right. not really complaining. Right. Not so bad for us. No, not so bad. So, hey, um, and for all you cycling fans out there who watched, uh, who had a chance to watch the race, it was a, uh, it's a little tough to watch these some of these classics just because if it's not covered in your network at home or your country... I know we had a tough time being down in Mexico. It was, we were scrambling everywhere to try to figure out a way to, uh, to get the race. But if you did catch it, if this is the start of the classic seasons of 2018, we're, we're in for some fun. This was, this was exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, this was, I, I, I normally think Milan San Remo is kind of a boring race, but, uh, wow, this was, I had sweaty palms at the end. It was freaky. Were you watching it live, the last part? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was pretty damn exciting. No, yeah, very but, exciting. But to, to, to your point of being able to, to watch these has gotten really, really tricky but exciting at the same time because there was, there was a time when everything was network-driven and you would get a lot of the spring classics on maybe the Outdoor Life Network, or I forget who used to carry a lot of this stuff. And now a lot of different live streams are carrying it and then they can sync up with your Apple TV or some sort of Android device right. to your television. And it's kind of jumping it around. Right. I, and I ended up watching it on Fubo.tv, and right. the coverage was great. Right. I was real happy with it. Yeah, and I tried to, I tried to do that. And, um, you know, but then, again, the, the technicality of it all, it says that this Fubo is not available in the country that you're in. Right. So if, if you're a Mexican, you don't get to watch it on Fubo. No, but so it's it's just different every part of the world. And I know we have listeners from all over, but 
you know, it takes a little work to find out who's carrying it. There's a lot of juggling around, right. like watching the tour on NBC Gold. Now a lot of these are going to be on Fubo TV as well. Uh, anyway, a little bit of homework, figuring out, you know, what your country can have access yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, can be done. Look, we're talking about how hard it was to try to uh, actually watch the race. And we had a little interruption as well just in the last hour. But um, like we're complaining. It almost sounds like we're just sort of whining a little bit. Imagine being one of the 200 guys <laughs> at the start in Milan at, you know, just before 10 a.m. You have 184 miles of race ahead of you. And it's not just raining. It's like raining buckets and it's in the 40s uh, i mean i was i had so much uh, i felt so sorry for those guys uh you know especially the first part of this race it's really milan san remo is really just is sort of uh, a dog leg right so you go from milan out to genoa which is the big port there on the on the uh on the sea there's a, a long kind of gradual climb that gets you up you drop down you hit genoa that climb is called the Turquino. And then you just go along the coastline all the way to San Remo. So, uh, but that first part is, it's literally, you literally close your eyes. It's so straight. And so, um, boy, just going along in the rain and 40 degrees and just going, I got to do this for seven hours. I, I felt mm. uh, a lot of pain for those riders. At a certain point, you know, the sun came out, the road dried up. And they're just peeling off layers of clothing and trying to keep the freight train moving. And, yeah. and I had a buddy visiting who doesn't know cycling. And, and it's like, how do they get all those clothes off? And what do they do with them? Yeah. And I go, watch the guy next to him. Right. And the teammate collects all the stuff and goes back to the team car and dumps things off. It's, it's a lot of work. Well, the interesting thing, or one thing just to note, is that it, 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 when, it, when it's – and again – uh, some guys can handle cold and wet conditions better than others. You know, whether that's an issue of just circulation or just technical skills, you know, riding no hands, getting a jacket off, getting your gloves off. So, you know, I was always one of these guys where my hands and, and extremities got so cold, like I couldn't, I couldn't get them to work. And so getting, peeling all this stuff off was just that much harder. Um, but you see the guys that are, that are good with it. Um, and then, so that, yeah, they either hand it off to, a uh, one of the domestiques or uh, teammates or, or they go back to the car and just literally throw it in the car or even to the point where if they're desperate, they'll just throw it on the side of the road to a fan. Right, like right. here's a new raincoat. Yeah. That's a nice yeah, souvenir yeah. for a fan. Just right? a little, little, little Easter gift. Yeah. But, um, you know, the thing about the, the, the thing I love about the whole story, cause you said, you mentioned that the sun came out and the roads dried up is that before any of that happened, Every one of those teams, every one of those directors got on the radio and said, guys, we just got news. The sun is out in San Remo. Like, so that, I mean, that, that's, you're, you're just sitting there like slogging away in the cold rain. And then some dude just drops you or your director just drops you this gift. I mean, it, 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 I cannot tell you, I can't, I can't emphasize enough just what that does to a rider's head, his, his mentality, his mind, his motivation. Like it just... It could, it could be complete. But just if you know that in an hour, all these clothes are coming off. I'll be in the sun. We're gonna the roads feel will better. Be dry. It's just you know, it's like a happy pill. It you know we're gonna break down some of what happened in Milan San Remo coming up. But I had no idea 
I really didn't have any idea that a race of any sort was over seven hours. Right. By the way, it was what seven hours and eighteen minutes and some change. Yep. Yeah, this is the longest race on the calendar, and you know, in, in the in the not obviously there are other you know extreme events, but but in the in the professional road scene, this is far and away the the, the longest at a hundred and it changes here and there, right? So it's but it's always just figure it's always around one hundred and eighty miles, two hundred ninety kilometers, I think it was. And and the crazy thing too about this event, as opposed to any other event, is that the course really hasn't changed. So for 111, this, this event started in 1907. So for 111 years, and again, it's that dog leg, right? It's really kind of hard to change it, right? Mm -hmm. You got to start in Milan, you got to end in San Remo, you make the turn in Genoa. Like, yes, you could add climbs off of the coast road, like they have the Cipressa, like they have the Poggio. They've tried other years where they add some climbs to try to thin out the race. This race has gotten to be, uh, I don't want to say easier, but it, but it's 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 the bunch, this this peloton in this day and age, and probably for the last 20, 30 years, has gotten so much fitter that this isn't an old, this isn't Eddie Merckx winning seven San Remos, right? Eddie Merckx won this race seven times. He won it the same way every time. I mean, I think somebody went back years ago and and looked at, analyzed all the the seven years that he won, where he launched his final attack on the Poggio, and I think it was within a span of like fifty yards. Wow. I mean, and everybody just, knew he was going to do it, but, he, but you know, but you couldn't nothing, go with him. Nothing they could do. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but, but you could do that then. And then everybody got fitter and fitter. And, and I told you this before we came on the air, JB, like if, if anybody listening who rides bikes went and rode the Cipressa and the Poggio, you'd be really, really disappointed. They went by quickly on television. Well, yeah, yeah because, because we're, I'm telling you, if we, you know, as out of shape as I am and as out of shape as you are, if we went and rode it, we'd be like, that's it. That's it. We came all the way over here to do that. But when you hit any climb at 175 miles, 180 miles, it's, I mean, you know, guys suffer on overpasses at that distance. Yeah, and they're probably cramping up and fatigued. And, you know, you talked about it a lot when we did uh, Iron Man. You know, we're getting to that almost that same span of time. Yeah. You know, like well, that is, that's right. probably like you probably on Milan, Milan San Remo have to think about your tr nutrition more than any other race. Yeah, that, a, a day that long, you, you know, that first, you know, let's call it the first section of the race until you get to uh, Genoa. I mean, you're eating, I would think, I mean, I have, I don't know how they're doing it these days, but you know, back then you would eat much heavier foods that you typically would because you just knew that you had, well, first of all, you knew you had a dead flat road. So that makes things a lot simpler, but also you just knew you had a seven plus hour day. You know, I think we've talked about it before, but they, because it is such a long race, they, they did show a lot of the feed zone type stuff and. On a race like that, what what might be in their musette bag? Because you always see them picking through it. I'm like, God, these guys are picky. Yeah. Do they not know buffet. in advance what no. they're going to eat? Yeah, the, it's pretty standard. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of the teams just kind of have a standard supply of stuff in there. And guys, you know, they might eat 25% of it and, and um, throw Pass the some rest along. out. Well, they'll leave it in the musette. And then the musette, you know, ideally gets thrown out to a fan, right? So you little, you know, the musette is the, is the bag that they grab in the feed zone that's got the team logo, the team name on it. It's cloth. It's not, it's not, it's not ghetto. It's, it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a little kid 
or just a total bike fan, uh, if somebody throws you one of those, you throw out all the food and you keep, I mean, that's a great souvenir of the museum. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, before we get to the uh, breakdown of the finish, which w was very exciting, mm. it was an exciting day on the bike. Let's talk about Mark Cavendish. Yeah, that that I, I actually, as I was watching the race and looking on the Internet before the race and, and trying to uh, make some notes and figure out what was going to happen. Um, I read that Mark Cavendish was going to race. He just had um, a, a major crash, not not a crash, a major crash at the warm up or the tune up race for Milan San Remo, which I think is actually worth noting. So there's there's two ways to approach Milan San Remo. And back in the day when I raced, there was always this debate on which of the two, and we'll get to Cavan in just a second, which of the two preparation races you use, right? You could either do Perinese or you could do Terreno Adriatico in, uh, in Italy. Um, really, both kind of similar, seven days. The only difference is Perinese ends uh, the weekend before, so you have a full week of recovery. And Terreno Adriatico ends about three or four days before, so you have less recovery. Um, we always used Perry Nice for whatever reason, but Cavendish, uh, was racing in, in Torino Adriatico and the opening stage, which was a team time trial had a major crash, uh, hit his head very hard, cuts all over his face, broken ribs. And when I saw that he was racing, I actually saw it on, on Twitter at, at, at the sign in. He said he was there to support his teammates, which amazing, but I'm like, God, you're surprised he even made it to yeah, the start well, line. Yeah, right, well, right. Uh, 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 yeah, I, w I wouldn't have been there. And then. And then, of course, uh, in the final, you know, 30 minutes of the, of the just leading into the Cipressa, he had another major crash. One of maybe one. Of, I mean, I think he ended up OK, but but the way it looked on TV, one of the most dramatic crashes. If you haven't seen it yet, folks, go on YouTube or wherever to find it. Uh, it it's kind of indescribable the way he hit that barrier or that that piece of traffic control in the middle of the road yeah. and literally launched yeah into the air like he was in the like he was in the fucking olympics for gymnastics it was and he landed it kind of landed it i i know it was gut-wrenching as i was watching it live and it in real speed i mean it was you know, guys were splitting this piece of what do you, you call it road furniture uh, street furniture yeah yeah it, it looked so pictured like something the size of a barrel you know like and it was stationary. It was not a moving barrel, but I mean, last second, this shows up in front of him when riders move out of the way and he has no time to move over bike, just boom, yeah. right front wheel, right into it. And he just flies. Yep. He goes airborne, complete flip. What looked horrible to me that he, well, one, when they don't get up right yep. away, but yep. I mean, which he didn't. Right. It looked like he landed on that tailbone. Yeah. Like he just, he almost did a complete flip yeah, he, and no, took he, off no, running. I, I would have said it was a complete flip. Would you I, gave it, it? I gave it a 10. <laughs> I gave it a 10 for the but landing. It just looked so brutal. And I was shocked to hear that nothing was broken. Yeah. So, here, so here's the thing. Just, before, you know, one thing to note for the listeners that most of that day, if, if there's anything in the road, a pothole, um, train tracks, any kind of road furniture that we're just talking about, traffic control, a pole, a post, they call it out, right? So for 90% of the day, they call it out. Hey, heads up, you know, mm -hmm. hand out or, you know, signal or make a noise, mm -hmm. something audible. 
at the end of the race, they don't point it out anymore. It's every man for himself. Well, so they're, yeah, they're not saw, having conversations yeah, anymore you because and, you're... And guys, they, they were too focused. They were too tired. You know, most of them were surprised. So you saw as it got closer and closer to Cav, you know, they all started getting closer and closer to hitting this barrier. And he just was unlucky that he was that person, didn't see it coming. And th again, this is not somebody that, that doesn't have instinct. This is a guy who has some of the best instinct in the Peloton. So imagine if it's some some jabroni who can't even uh, can't even react normally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have been much worse. But he 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 just got caught out, got unlucky. And the only thing I will say is is I suspect that um, whatever it was, he what I don't know what we even call those things. I call it road furniture, but it was probably like a really dense plastic. Um, so if a car hits it, it's a little forgiving. So it, mm -hmm. it was probably a bit forgiving that 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 could have really saved him, but. Yeah, when he hit the deck, he didn't move. And I think that was, you know, if I'm thinking about it, I mean, he's probably laying there going. He has no idea what has just well, happened and to just, his body. Or he, or, he, <laughs> or, he may, or he has an idea and he's like, is this really happening again? Yeah. Because he's had, he had a major crash the first race of the season this year. He had the major crash in Torino. And then this, which uh, certainly looked to be a major crash. I'm sure he's laying down going, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. That's I was wondering that too. Yeah. I was wondering that too, like what that does to you to have so early in the season to have those three big crashes. It's like, do you just want to go home and take the season off? Do you feel like you have bad luck? Well, he, he doesn't. He doesn't want to do that. And, no. and 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 the fact that he started Milan San Remo after the crash in Torino is he doesn't. If there shit, if, if there was a race tomorrow, he'd probably be there. But I I know he has a great reputation right within the peloton. But for some guys, when there's like another crash, another crash, do you start to get a reputation as a guy that goes down to stay away from? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. To where they're like, because yeah. there was. Don't, don't ride behind that guy. Yeah, there's. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of. We saw a lot of the aerial view of people. There are certain guys that are just bosses yeah. in the. And they just push you out of the way. Yeah. And do you get yelled at a lot if you have that bad reputation? Yeah, I mean. Intimidated. Uh, you just get. You just. You're just not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andreas Greipel broke his collarbone as well. So I mean, this was this for the sprinters. This was a bad day. Wow. Yeah, I know. All right now. I want to also talk about Peter Sagan, who gets more airtime than anybody. As he, sh as he should. <laughs> as he should. I agree. And, and I, you know, the, early on in the coverage, they kept talking about last year. Last year, he got nipped at the line by uh, Kwiatkowski mm -hmm. and was very, very vocal about, you know, I'm not dragging all these guys to the line again. He yeah. was very vocal about it. Like, you're not pulling that shit again, I basically. Can, I, yeah, I understand that. Which is, as the race started going down, the, the chase was caught, and Nibbly, which we're going to talk about a lot here in a second, takes off. I couldn't help but wonder, is Sagan not going? Because I'm not, he's like, I'm not dragging all you up here again. Well, I, I don't know exactly what he was thinking, and I haven't read... Uh, any of his comments post-race but when you are it's a blessing and a curse for him I mean he's the best bike racer in the world uh, currently at, at, at an event like this or the events coming up the next couple of months so when you are that big of a favorite you you just have to take on that role you may not like it 
and you can say you don't like it and act like you don't like it, but you've got the bullseye. You, you're you're, right? you're the guy, and so it, the only way to defend that or or answer to that uh, is to have a team around you. And and you know this, I'm not saying he didn't have a team because his team did a lot of work uh, the entire day to to keep that breakaway mm-hmm. in check, and then ultimately to bring him back. But the the only way for him to to you know be totally protected is to have somebody with him the entire way which he didn't but you know having said that if you look at these you know the top 20 none of these guys did so at that point it, it a race that long it's hard to say oh, I'm going to have three teammates on on the Poggio and they're going to be all around me and they're going to they're going to ride tempo they're going to control the, the speed nobody's going to go away I'm not going to get dropped we're going to do the descent they lead me out for the sprint I went that's just too easy. I mean, that that's that you, that doesn't happen in Milan San Remo. So, but if you're alone, which he was, that, trust me. I mean, nobody's gonna say, "Hey, Peter, I think you're great for the sport and you're a good guy. Let me, I'm gonna go to the front and start pulling." Nobody's gonna say that. Everybody's either looking out for themselves or insisting that he do as the overwhelming favorite. He do the lion's share of the work, and you know, I, I think we saw. You know, you saw in the finale that he just he he wasn't prepared to do that. Look, there could have been he might not have felt great. Right. He didn't get second. He didn't win right. the group sprint. Yeah. So you know we don't know, but um, but I I think the headline is when you're that good and 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 that big of a favorite, you better be ready to to take on the role. And if you get nipped at the line, you get nipped at the line. You have to lead out. Yeah. Everyone's watching you. You're, yeah. You're the marked guy. Yeah. And he's that's he's the man right now. I know you were pretty excited to see uh, Show Hatsuyama in the break. You know, I was like, I was Hatsuyama. Lo- sorry. Uh, yeah, I love it when they have these um, these stories. You know, whether it's somebody, you know, the guys from Rwanda who come over, or, or um, you know, the sport has gotten more and more international, which is, and I mean, really, truly international. So that's cool to see. But I was, I was like, who is this dude? And there was some stuff on the internet about him, and as I was looking around, he so far, and this is his first kind of real year at the pro tour level or the highest level, so to speak. Um, and he's is so for 2018, he's either not finished one race or missed the time cut. So, which also means you don't finish the race. So he hasn't finished a race yet, and yet he now the first spring classic of the year is Milan San Remo. He's in. The good news for all you uh, show Yatsuyama fans around the world, he finished officially. <laughs> and he, he got some TV time and a break. a lot of TV time, and he finished 15 minutes down, but he finished. You know, it's, if you, th- you see in a, a new country emerging in European racing, th- there was a time when Americans went over there and just got their teeth kicked in of and couldn't, couldn't finish for a long time yeah. as well, right? Yeah. That was part of it. Yeah. No. Do you, every, do you remember your first European race? I, how could I you do. forget that? I got last. Yeah. Show Yatsuyama beat me <laughs> <laughs> easily. All right. Now let's talk about how everything went down with Nibali because you, you know you called it in the pre-show. You said this is a race. It's long. It's a long day, but it all goes down with the last two climbs. That's where the race starts, and that's exactly what happened. Well. It, it, Sort of. I would just say sort of because the Cipressa, which is the climb just before the Poggio, and there's not a lot of distance in between the two, but the Cipressa was pretty mild. You know, that that sometimes it was a big group, a bigger group. I was watching with a friend of mine who was down in Cabo with us, and 
And, you know, they come say they come into the Chapresa with a hundred guys. And I said, well, at the end of this, two thirds of them will be gone. Well, I was wrong. I mean, there was like 10% of them gone. So, which tells mm -hmm. me that the tempo up the Chapresa was, was pretty mellow, which, uh, yeah, they were pretty they were wide out on the street. Still a lot it of guys. It wasn't lined out. Still a lot of guys, but n n nonetheless, I mean, it, 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 the thing that, that, uh, are really that, that. The only thing that does matter is is the Poggio. I mean, the Poggio is where, like I said, when when Merckx wins seven times, if you can g literally go and kind of draw a line, like, okay, Eddie's going to go right here, like you know, that's the that's the place where uh, where the race is won or lost, and it's not just won or lost on the climb. And we can get to this because Nibali is such a fantastic descender. That downhill is fucking crazy, and it was dry. Mm. That downhill in the rain, huh? Man. No thanks. Yeah, as I, so he takes off mm -hmm. on the last climb and puts up a huge gap. No one goes with him. When you were you were watching it live at that point, right? Yep. So you're watching this. Did you think, hey, this is a legit attack? When he had when he went over the top with it was either 17 or 20 seconds, being him, right? Um, the, the fantastic descender. Look, he knew that he was going to get to the bottom of the Poggio with either that same time gap or more. And, and, you know, you can never know, but the guys behind there's a crash or there's, there's some, there's some cat and mouse behind, but he knew he was going to have 20 seconds at the base, which then you have, gosh, couple miles to the finish line. And, and then that group that, that, that might have been 75 guys is not 75. And then it really is 20-ish guys. Um, it, he had to be awfully confident. I, I, have to, I have to think when he went over the top with 20 seconds, he, he had to think he had it or, or had a really good chance. Well, that's what makes that course pretty interesting is if there was three miles after mm -hmm. the last climb, after, after the descent, yep. that changes anything. There isn't that much time after the descending is done, no. right? No. And so as they're descending, you just don't see the the teams can't get organized to no. reel back on a descent. Yeah, it was pretty much what happened. I right? mean, and, and, and look, you you could you could look at it and say, okay, uh, you have Sagan there, you have look at them, I mean, you have Kristoff, you have Caleb Ewan, you have. Cabrell, not Cabrelli, because his teammate is nibbly. You have Michael Matthews. You have these guys who are the favorites, right? So, when you're, it, like a layman might say, well, why don't all of you guys just say, well, we all have a fair chance here. Let's get it organized. Let's bring him back, and then we'll do the sprint. But it, it, it happens so fast. You can't, it, it goes by in a split second. Nobody's sitting here trying to rationalize things and, and create a democracy and go, okay, let's go. It doesn't, right. it, it doesn't work that way. Because by the time they were realizing Nibali might be staying away, yep. they're getting the time gaps, right? They're like, you can't organize because you're, you're literally taking hairpin descents and yep. avoiding slamming into a wall. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, <laughs> two things. One, that, that head-on camera, we talked about it a ton last summer during the tour, that head-on camera is super <laughs> deceiving. Like you think he's... You know, you see Nibali coming, looks like they're right behind him. Then they go to the helicopter shot and they're 200 yards back. And you're back. like, oh. <laughs> but yeah. the, the reality, too, is at the very, you know, in the final kilometer, final mile, whatever, you know, he's probably going 34, 35 miles, 55K an hour. 
Um, when they start sprinting, they're going a lot faster than mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And uh, for as impressive as it was and, 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 as, and as easy as he almost made it look, if the finish line, so they've ridden 184 miles. You could actually probably go back and do the, the, the science to this, but after 184 miles, if that, for whatever reason, the finish line is 100 yards farther, he loses. Mm-hmm. And granted, he had a little time, hands up, post up jersey zip up the jersey a little bit of show showboating which is what he should do um but still i mean to think that you spent seven hours and 18 minutes and if the finish line after 184 miles i don't know what i don't know what percentage of 184 miles is 100 yards or 100 meters but it's small i mean that's the difference in these events it's just crazy well it was it was really incredible to watch and it's it's funny in cycling it's like you know, you may have your favorite rider, you may have your favorite team, but how do you not root for the guy that does an aggressive break and is just fighting off getting nipped at the line? Like, that's one of the most exciting things in the sport. Did you get that little video clip I sent you of him hitting the guy with the cell phone? Yes. There's so then, I mean, not only did he, was he the strongest yeah. man in the race, uh, had the biggest stones when it came to tactics and in, in his own uh, aggression, a fantastic descent. He survived running into some idiot who had his, you know, cell phone out over the barriers, either mm-hmm. trying to get a photo, mm-hmm. and it was almost like he had he was two handing it. Like I don't know. It looked like he was doing something else. Right. So he you know? and, and you guys can find this online, I'm sure somewhere, but Nibbly just and he he caught, just at the last second he got that shoulder down and just cell phone just yard sale. I mean, gone. <laughs> and um but no, he he looked nobody else deserved to win this bike race and i think it's worth noting two things one an italian hasn't won in 12 years which you know for the tifosi the tifosi is the is the 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 true cycling fans in italy for the tifosi 12 years is way too long Mm -hmm. you know the last time is 2006 you know the decade before 2006 they just dominated i mean they probably won 75 percent of the additions so to wait 12 years to have one of your own win um absolutely you know absolutely huge and then what does it mean to i mean big picture for a a grand tour winner to go knock off a big classic i think it's great which it it doesn't again you could talk about the the mercs days where he was phenomenal and could do things but do both of those not as common today no in modern cycling no and and not just i mean uh, nibbly has won all three grand tours and this monument now, and as well as two other monuments, which the other two Italian uh, are, are uh, Tour of Lombardia, which is at the end of the season. He's won that twice, so he's you know he's got three monuments and three Grand Tours. It's you know you have to say he's one of the best riders of this generation for sure. By I mean by far. Peter Sagan did tweet out congratulations also from my side to Nibali for his attack and victory. He was the only one to show he had the balls today. Oh, I love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> he went balls deep. No, they were, um, they're, uh, from what I can tell, they're, they're, they're pretty good buddies. They were on uh, Cannondale Liquid Gas together back in the day. They kind of came up through the ranks together. Um, I think they both, obviously nobody has the personality and character of a, of a Peter Sagan, but, but Nibali, he's, he's got some, he's got some action, you know? And so, 
Um, and they're and in a lot of ways, they're uh, uh, technically they're both really good. I mean, I, I would I would start to say that Nibali is the best descender in the pro peloton, but, but I'm I'm sure Sagan could hang with him. But they have no fear. Wet, dry, technical, fast, whatever. No fear. So they're they're both really good. Be a fun little. Uh, Fun little Red Bull challenge. Hey, guys, let's start at the top. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We were talking about it a little bit in our pre-show, where the fear comes in. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're more of a veteran racer, meaning just years of doing it. Maybe you're a little older. Maybe you have a family at home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of variables of what kind of makes one of these guys, you know, very much a risk taker, yep. which he was on the descents. Yeah. Like he could have slammed into one of those walls at any given moment. Sure. You, yeah, you can. I mean, if it's, if it's some early season race where there's nothing on the line, you know, you hit the brakes quicker or sooner In San Remo, you don't, I mean, you gotta, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a uh, point and shoot. There's no, there's no breaking. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you could either like what slows guys down, right? So either on a very fast technical descent, or we've talked about this last summer when these really hairy, gnarly sprints on the tour were, you know, we're at home watching on TV going, Oh no, I can't, I, I can't watch it. It's something's about to, you know, like who hits the brakes first? Cause that's always the question, right? I mean, obviously it matters who's the fastest, but what really matters as well is, who just doesn't break. And so what then causes you to break in a sprint, to break on a downhill? Is it, is it, you had a couple big crashes and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of sick of this. Uh, do you have two kids and you back of your mind? You're like, you know what? I really want to fly home tonight and, and like pick my three-year-old daughter up and not be in a sling and not be in the hospital. You know, those are all things that, that they matter. Yeah. Right? And so probably a mix of all those. Did you catch the post race interview? Uh, I I did. I tried. It was uh, it was it was a little painful just because the guy who, you know, was like demanding that 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 he speak in English, and I'm like, wait, he's. It was weird the way he set weird. it up. Yeah, I I, like, I I felt uncomfortable. I'm, yeah, I was I felt uncomfortable too. I'm like, hang on a second. This, uh, you know, last I checked, the race finished in Italy. He's Italian. This is the first interview. Like he's still huffing and puffing, and there's some guy. It's like, no, 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 you have to answer in English. <laughs> yeah, like, I have all that here. What the fuck is that about? Like, would, would you like to hear all of that? Not really, but yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> here we go. Vincenzo, are you okay to speak English with us now? Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't speak. Uh, it's very, very good, but I, I don't understand. Listen, just say something in English, one sentence in English to say, you have made history today. That was one of the great Milan Sanremos of all time. Just say something in English for us. Uh, yes, today in the Milan Sanremo, all day water. It's no, no easy rain, rain, rain. <laughs> And my, my sensation is very good, but uh, today I work with uh, Sonny Colbrelli and uh, in the last uh, 15K, uh, uh, I have a really good uh, sensation. And uh, in the Poggio, uh, I work with, uh, with Colbrelli and uh, in the last uh, 5K, uh, so only, only follow the, the other rider. Uh, when uh, my radio, uh, the director uh, 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 speak with me 20 seconds, 
Uh, I think my head holy holy full gas and nothing incredible uh, this day is fantastic day for me and sorry for my English is <laughs> not your English is wonderful listen one more thing you looked over your shoulder you saw the sprinters but you knew you'd won how good was that moment for you Vincenzo I, I think this is a good uh, good moment for me and uh, I, I look at the, the TV. This is uh, the, this race is fantastic. Uh, this victory uh, for all team and uh, nothing. I don't have words. <laughs> One last thing: is that the best victory of your incredible career, Vincenzo? Uh, no. <laughs> no, lo so. Yeah, you have a smart <laughs> answer. But the answer is no. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? You'd be like, uh, you know, uh, no, not really. <laughs> All the fans are like, fuck you. That's not a, that, I know that's not a fair question. It's, you know, it's a stupid question. And um, <laughs> but uh, it's like it's like and it's funny. We were we were watching the golf tournament down there in Cabo too. Roy McIlroy won, who is just getting on my last nerve. I mean, this is not to change sports here, but it's just, you know, now he says dude, they shouldn't have hard alcohol sales at the golf. The crowds are getting too oh. rowdy. Should only have beer. No more no more cocktails. I mean, but this is a guy who a couple of years ago, he wins the FedEx Cup, wins 10 million bucks. I'm like, oh my God, what do you think about, you just won $10 million. What do you, he's like, I have so much money. This, this really doesn't matter. <laughs> it's kind of the same sort of. <laughs> It's hard enough to play golf without alcohol. Now you want us to go pay a lot of money to watch it without yeah, it? Yeah. Well, let, let me know how it <laughs> That's goes, a tall Rory, order. When, when, you know, there was 100,000 people there and now there's 10,000. Let me know yeah. how that rolls. Well, yeah. anyhow, that, Anyways, was, uh, that was a fun interview in that you could probably shed some light on this. Like, you know, people are listening to stages. I, I, you know, maybe you've, you found us because of the Tour de France last July. For me personally, this gives me someone to be excited and about and watch throughout the season. Yeah. You well, know what I mean? We talked a lot about Peter Sagan, but this, you know, you follow me now. It's like better, you know, just good, better coverage and these personalities developing and getting to know them yeah. um, by covering a lot of this. I just hope it gets people more engaged. Look, I think you, you, you're, you're dangerously knowledgeable about cycling without having spent your whole life doing it. Um, uh, but, but I sat down in, in Mexico with my friend Chad O, the most famous person on Instagram that only has 5,000 followers, you know, so in that 5,000 follower <laughs> tier, he's like the most famous he's person. He's number one. He's number one, top of the <laughs> list. So he doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And so we, we were watching this together and it all got done. And I was like, well, honestly, did you think that was exciting? Mm -hmm. And he was like, dude, that was insane. Like just the, the way it unfolded, the weather changing, you know, the, the, someone to explain what's going and maybe, on. Maybe maybe it helped that I was yeah. sitting there. Yeah. You could tell that I was excited and and, and um, psyched to watch this. But but he, he just as a total novice, somebody who's he would he didn't even know this race existed. Mm -hmm. He's like that was badass. Yeah. Like that was yeah. so. But look, it, it, it's it can also be boring. I mean that race. You know, it, it's just. The guy who just interviewed Nimble, he said, look, this is one of the best of all. I mean, it was really, it was just an exciting version, episode of it. And mm -hmm. so, um, but like I said at the top of the show, I mean, I hope that this is sort of a, a preview 
of the rest of the classic season because if that is man we're in for some fun and then you know of course that rolls into the uh, into the Giro, into the other races, and then into the Tour, which is, as we talked about on the Tour uh, preview, you know, is is um, has all kinds of potential to be explosive. But, yeah. And hey. it all comes quickly. You know, the season winds down, and you feel like, oh, it's so far away. And now you're like, it's all right around the no, corner. I know. People I know. are like, yeah. oh, you have to do stages for the Tour Down Under. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's January. I, I, can't, I can't watch bike racing in January. Yeah. And now we're already close to April, so... Which which brings up a good point because we're talking about Milan San Remo sitting here in Austin, Texas, but the next spring classic. So the interesting two two interesting things about the classics is all of them are on a Sunday, except for the Italian races, always on Saturdays. So Milan San Remo, Tour of Lombardia, always on Saturdays for the Catholics. Make sure they mm-hmm. you know they get they get to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. and then um, and they're normally kind of a week apart. Once you start getting into Flanders, Roubaix, Amstel, Liège, all these, they're, they're one-week gaps. This one, there's two-week gap. So we have actually more than two weeks because we're going to go, it's going to be 15 days until Tour Flanders where you and me and Dave Bolch over here are going to be live and uh, it's going to be a live podcast coming to you from, uh, from somewhere in Belgium. <laughs> Yet to be determined. Yeah, we don't know where. <laughs> if anybody has any idea where we can just sort of crash. And, and it'll be... Some Wi-Fi. It'll be a race I can watch on local TV. I'm assuming. Oh no, over there it's it's you'll be for days. You'll be watching. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's the Super Bowl for for that part of Belgium. Absolutely. So that's what's next for us on stage. It's just a couple weeks away. A couple weeks. Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs>